In, in lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with, with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. And Lakeshe Nadira, she's the Empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversations. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. I am Lucky Shay Nigeria, and joining me are my fellow co-hosts, which is none other than Dr. Hakima Jihad. Peace and blessings. And our sister, Akila. Greetings. So this evening, this is a special evening because we have a wonderful guest that's going to be joining us in this conversation. And so I am like super geeked to bring her on into the conversation room. And that is our sister, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Now, Dr. Lauren Meeks, she is so many things and you'll get to know her real soon. But one of her works is Confessions of a Melanated Queen, Complexities of the Modern Black Woman. This is her latest book, and we're going to bring her on to talk a little bit about that. And she also is a fellow podcaster. The sister has her own podcasting show called None Other Than Confessions of a Melanated Queen where she takes the time to interview wonderful people who are doing fantastic things in the community. So our sister, Dr. Lauren Meeks, is an advocate for ending social, economic, and educational disparities among underdeserved populations with a background in higher education, youth development, and workforce development. Dr. Meeks is committed to following and exhibiting the principles of servant leadership. She is the founder of We City NFP and frequently blogs about issues related to marriage and family. So here we are. Do -do 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 -do. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Sister, our queen, none other than Dr. Lauren Meeks. How are you, Dr. Meeks? I am awesome tonight. Hey, queens. Thank you for having hey, me. Hey, queen. Hey, queen. We thank you. We thank you so much for coming on the show and being a part of our conversation. It is an absolute pleasure. So we welcome you. We welcome you. 
So let's let's get this conversation started. You know, before we really get into this, the one great thing about this conversation is that, you know, it's it's always a, a blessing. First of all, anytime we get the opportunity to just have conversations. But when we have the opportunity to extend and open up um you know, our conversation to others, it's even a greater blessing. So I'm super excited. I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Meeks um, some months ago at a networking event. Uh, and I remember she kind of lit up the room. You don't know this, but I remember when you walked through the door, <laughs> she's looking like, what? You did. You, you lit up the room because I'm, I'm like, usually, you know how you go to events and we kind of look around the room, you know, we see different yeah. people coming in and, you know, depending upon the mood, or at least for me, depending upon the mood I might be in, I could be like super social, like mm -hmm. that butterfly, or sometimes I could be just real chill and laid back. And this particular event, I was kind of laid back and I'm still kind of feeling the room. So I was kind of quiet. I wasn't my chatty self. But I remember specifically when you walked in the room, you really commanded the room because actually that's what that event was all about. It was mm -hmm. called Command That Room with our sister, um, Peggy Riggins. And so you commanded the room because you came in with a smile, a beautiful smile. I remember very clear. And you said, I don't know if you said, hey, or how y'all doing, but you were very warm mm -hmm. and just extremely social. And it kind of softened me up. You know, so I just wanted to share that with you, your wonderful spirit. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like, you know, and especially over the last um, couple of weeks or months, actually, Dr. Meeks, you have um, been following our podcast quite a bit and you always comment, you always share. So I send you extra super package blessings and thank yous and kisses and butterflies and all that great stuff so it, <laughs> it's you. super special for me right. just to have you on absolutely so, thank you I, yeah. I love your show i'm such a fan i can't believe i'm a part of this conversation tonight <laughs> Yay. oh one of our <laughs> elevated melanated queens indeed yeah. yes you are thank you thank you so much definitely a royal empress definitely thank you <laughs> I'm so humbled. I really appreciate that. That gives me a good time, to, to Dr. Meeks, for you to mm -hmm. share with the audience who you are in your own words. Sure. Well, you know, I'm still trying to get over this Dr. Meeks thing. I'm just good old Lauren, Lauren Meeks. I mean, I appreciate the <laughs> oh, doctor. Oh, you're so humble. You're so you humble. You know, we, it's only been a little over a year. So, I mean, my day-to-day, -day, um, I mean, in a nutshell, I'm mom, I'm wife, I'm Lauren. I'm the daughter of, you all have heard his voice of a pastor who is just a corner, you know, church guy, you know, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a regular, as, as LL say, around the way girl. So to me, it's kind of, it's, it's a challenge to even think about some of the things that I do because I just do it. Uh, but in general, I, I really just love our people. You know, I love um, working in our community. By day, I work in nonprofit. I have eight years of experience in higher education. And um, for those who read the book, you know, I had to, I was forced to transition out of that. <laughs> and I went into nonprofit work. For those and, who read the book, are you kidding me? Yeah, for Go those ahead. who read the book, <laughs> there's a story. <laughs> and and there's, there's a story behind that. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting. So, um, like you said, I remember telling you when I met you about something I did when I was in sixth grade, and that yeah. shapes who I am today. So to answer your question, Dr. Hakima, 
who am I? So I have three stories that I think shapes who Dr. Meeks is today. Uh, I walked into a school uh, some 24 years ago, a new student at a private school. My parents thought that they were doing the, the best thing they can do for me by transitioning me to what they thought was a safe environment, but it was the first time I had to deal with racism. Mm -hmm. And so I had a teacher who openly, um, he made it obvious that he wasn't really crazy about the school in, being integrated because the community had changed at that time. So I don't know all the details because it was so long ago, but I remember just feeling like there was a lot of injustice happening in that class. So I wrote a letter, walked it down to the principal's office. But before I did that, I had all of my classmates to sign it. And I asked for the teacher to be removed. I never thought I had that spirit in me. And then after that, my family started calling me Angela Davis. And <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> saying that I was a rebel with a cause. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 you know, so awesome. little Angela was born that day. You know, it's one of those things where you weren't taught to do certain things. Your instincts mm -hmm. just teach you to do it. Fast wow. forward to an adult, and I speak about this in the book, how I was literally walked off the college campus that I had served for eight years because I helped all melanated youth college students graduate on time by empowering them to choose the classes that they thought were best for them. Well, that wasn't beneficial for the college. It actually was a financial loss for them because they made more money keeping people in school. Mm -hmm. And so they told me I had to go. Then fast forward to just last summer, I'm walking up the Statue of Liberty in New York City, and I couldn't breathe. And I really thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting out of shape. I need to get back in the gym, maybe lose some weight. Turns out I had a blood clot that traveled to my lungs. Mm. So... Over wow. those three stories to me are, are so important because one, I knew when I wrote that letter and asked those kids to sign and no one ever, I didn't even know what a petition was. I just knew that they needed to, to join me in this movement. And that teacher did not last the rest of the year. He was removed. Now I can take credit for it. I cannot take credit for it, but I know he was removed. Um, that spirit didn't die. And so when I was looking in that college president's face and she was telling me, I don't care about your low-income first-generation students. I can't have you doing what you're doing. And I was asked to wow. leave that day. It reminded me that that little girl who wrote that letter, she's still there. She's still alive. She's still alive. Yes. And the fact that God let me live through a pulmonary embolism. Oh, my. Mm. And a year later, I'm still here to have this conversation with you. I just know that my work isn't done. So, yes, yes. And, I, you know, I've been, I've been called a rebel with a smile because I don't protest. <laughs> rebel with a smile. Rebel with a smile. So I just find ways, I think in a nutshell, I just, I just want to help people. That's all. And I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I want to help my people. You know, I've helped others along the way. Yes, yes. But I was a black woman first. I was black first. And, um. I'm going to always do that work. Right now, I work for a um, African American uh, youth program, and we make no apologies about it. So, um, yeah, I, that, that's who I am. Mm, mm, now, okay. author and podcast and all that stuff. But that's who <laughs> I was before this stuff kicked off. Before Confessions was even a brand. I love who you are. Thank I you. <laughs> Likewise, Queens. Example of servant leadership that started way back in the day. Yeah. Now you said sixth grade? Was that sixth grade? I was in sixth grade. Ain't that wow, so? That's true. I, I had sixth grade. I, you wow. know, 
I just know that it frustrated me because it wasn't right. I remember a pr- the principal standing over and saying, this is not public school. This is private school. I'm like, wait a minute now. Hold on. This don't have nothing to do with whether it's public or private. You don't like these black kids in here. And then I come in here and, I'm, and see what happened was there was a little girl who, whose father did not like the, um, the, the demographic that was changing in the school. Mm. And so they made sure that they took special care of her. And I took notice mm. to that. And that's what I wrote about. I wrote about the fact that, you know, this child um, and she shared with us, you know, she's a kid, so she's going to be honest. She's like, no, they really don't. My parents don't like the fact that you all are teaching me some of the, your language and some of your, your, your words that you guys use. My, my dad doesn't like that. And so he was very protective of this child. I, I saw how the other kids, including myself, were mistreated. And so I, I don't even know why, what possessed me to walk in the principal's office, but I walked in there alone. Nobody was with me. And I just dropped the letter off on his desk and walked away. And the oh, next time I saw that letter. All right. Oh, absolutely. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is so, that, I mean, that is so amazing. That to me, that is yeah. just, you know, you hear about leaders, whether or not mm-hmm. um, they are born, you know, or whether mm-hmm. or not they are shaped. Um, and, you know, I, I can see it both ways, but it sounds like you've had it inside of you mm-hmm. and, over a period of time, God has chosen to just drop water at bits and pieces in your life and just boom. And now you're just blossoming, you know? So just sixth grade, I mean, I'm thinking like, whoa. And you know, sometimes we see children um, and we're uh, impressed and amused when we see Mm -hmm. like children who are appear to have been here before you know you see little children running around running things like mm-hmm. she's only two years old so then that kind of brings me to this question do you see yourself like prior to sixth grade is there any time that you can think of or have your parents told you about a time when before sixth grade maybe two three four five years old where you maybe had some of that leadership quality or spirit or stand up or let me take the mic or whatever the case might be to you know show forth your leadership role or Mm -hmm. as you would say it to show forth a little bit of your melanated queendom (laughs) well you know what the the two things that stand out um my mother and father always said that i was very sensitive as a child Mm -hmm. um so two stories i i would get really upset when someone was hurt or if I saw someone's, and I'm still like this, I see someone's feelings hurt. You could be my worst yeah. enemy. And for some reason, I don't want to see you ever embarrassed. And yeah. so I always show that um, side of me. The other thing is, okay, remember that, um, what is his name that made, uh, he's, he's saying with Tony Braxton, um, yeah. what is... Um, LaFace records, Babyface. Okay, so Babyface. Baby so remember when Babyface came out with the song and he was saying, you know, as um, soon as I get home, I'm going to cook your dinner. I'm yes, going yes. to do it. So he was making a lot of promises. So the story goes that I was listening to that and I had this very perplexed look on my face and I, and I was a small kid and I said, mama, he's lying, isn't he? He ain't about to do all that. And she was like, what, what do you mean? I said, no, nah. he said he going to come home. He going to pay her bills. He's going to cook her dinner. He's going to do all this by the time he get home from work. I don't see how that's possible. You know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at this, Look at this so, little child. <laughs> so, you know, little things like that. I think they knew that, you know, I, I was definitely different, you know, but I also think that, you know, I was the youngest of two children. My brother's nine years older than me. So I grew up with older people. 
And so I was always a part of older conversations. And, you know, I, it, besides being sensitive, I, I really just was a very observant, you know, and maybe being exposed to things that, because I know, I know my parents couldn't come home and do all that. So I babyface have time to do all that when he get off of work. So I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so little things like that. I mean, but definitely oh, wow. I would say just, um, I never wanted to see people hurt. You know, I never wanted to see people hurt. And I was very sensitive about that. And I still am. I mean, again, I, I hate to see a person embarrassed. I don't know what it is about that. You know, I will walk away from it before I watch somebody go through embarrassment. And so those are the things that I think fuel me to do what I do. And it's just, it's been amazing to me that in some ways it's been viewed as a negative thing or, or as a, I've been referred to as militant, rebellious, and really it's all about caring. You know, I, I, I just care for folks. And to me, that's part of our social responsibility. It's part of our spiritual responsibility. Uh, children of God, that's what we're supposed to do. Some of us have a little bit more of that than others, and that's okay. But to me, I knew that when I walked into that hospital last year and they told me that I had a blood clot that had traveled to my lungs and I was able to walk out that hospital, I knew that, that God has put me here for a reason. I'm not done. So, you know, even when I've thought about, you know, switching it up, there's always a reminder is that, you know, you, you have to keep doing what you're supposed to do. Mm. You're given this gift for a reason. You're given this challenge for a reason. It hasn't always been easy. It's been tough. Mm. It's been tough. Yeah. I, I had a question for you mm -hmm. because uh, when I, of course, when I found out the title of your book, I, Confessions of a Melanated Queen, what stuck out to me was the complexities of the modern black woman. Mm -hmm. what's, what's the, can you shed light a little bit why you chose this title? Because before I even read the book, I like to sit back and, and think about the title and why the author chose the title. But I just thought it was powerful because, first of all, as sisters, we don't call each other queens. Yeah. In this casual conversation, we sure as hell don't use the term melanated when we're referring yeah. to ourselves or each other. Can you expound on why you chose the title, your book? I can remember the day, uh, it started off as a blog, actually. So it started off with, with, I transitioned from having a nonprofit, which I still have, and I had a website, and I was running a lot of marketing stuff for that. And I found that while I was doing that work from December 2016 all the way through 2017, I really was holding back a lot. It was, really, I'm new to social media. I didn't, I didn't get involved with social media until I started my nonprofit, so it's been like less than two years. And so I held back a lot. And so confessions, the term confessions came from me just saying, now, you know, this is the same girl that wrote that petition, the same girl that got walked off that campus. I do have a lot to say, but because of this organization, I'm trying to fit that image, whatever image I was trying to create for that. And so that's where confessions came from. Because I was like, I'm going to start sharing some stuff. But yeah, I woke up January 1st of 2018. And I said, I'm going to write from now on the things that are important to me. And so the blog started first. I knew I wanted to write the book. I just didn't think I would do it so quickly. Um, and, you know, I think that I love the term melanin. I think that, you know, if you consider the so, so many black people across the globe, you know, we're not just in the United States, we're, we're, we're everywhere, we're in the Caribbeans, you know, we're, we're Latin America, you know, there's melanin in so many of us. And I think that to me, it, it, that's more of a global approach so that people who are not necessarily descendants of slaves or, but, but they're from the diaspora, then, you know, there's some melanin there. So I wanted to have a term that was more relatable. 
Um, and I, I do believe we're kings and queens. You know, I do believe we're royalty. Now, complexities of the modern black woman, because I surveyed 60 women, this is interesting. So here's the story with that. I surveyed 60 women. I sent the survey out on a Saturday night through Facebook, did not think anybody would respond. Those women were hopping on that survey so quick, and they were so, they, they shared so much. And I realized that being a, I always knew this, but it, it was almost affirmation and confirmation that we are, our, our life, our lives are complex. You know, it's, it's not easy. What's interesting is that I was trying to test the, um, the survey and I completed the survey. So two months later, I'm going through some of the responses and <laughs> I ran across this one sister. I'm like, now this sister right here, I can relate to her. It was my response. I forget <laughs> what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I forget I forget what I wrote, but I kept thinking, you know, I I had the things, every every chapter you see I already had those things written out. I wanted to know, which is why you see more quotes in some chapters than others, what women would say. So I had open-ended questions. And women were mostly concerned with family, career, um, relationships those type of things. And sometimes, you know, every now and then someone would say something about colorism. Sometimes they would talk about, you know, the challenges that they're having. And financial was a big one too. And so that's why some chapters have more input from other women than others. Because I already knew what I wanted to talk about. But I wanted to know, is anybody else out there dealing with this? And if, and if they, they are, I wanted to give them a voice. And so that was more of the qualitative research of it. Uh, and I just, I understood that, you know, th there are a lot of complexities. And their women are struggling and women feel alone. And there were some things I didn't add because I felt like that woman just needed a moment that night to share. And because I wanted to keep it anonymous, I just chose to keep some of it out. But I wanted to give that opportunity again for women in the future. So I'm doing, I'm working on a project now. But um, just to answer your question, yeah, complexities, it is not easy. It's not easy. And there's so many facets. I didn't want to write it from a married woman's perspective. I wanted to write it from a melanated queen. And that's so many of us. And, 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 and I had divorcees. I had women who were single moms. I had women who had children who had been um, killed in gun violence. And so, you know, I was very emotional writing that book because it's not, it's not just my story. Yeah. I, I'm going to say I read the book and I really enjoyed um, reading your book. Yeah. And I, I highlighted some things. and. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, we want people to get your book <laughs> and read it for themselves. But some of the topics that you put on there, and I was like, wow. And it, it kind of it made me think because I think uh, on one of our podcasts that we just did on uh, feminism, mm -hmm. and you liked it and you said this. And then I, I was like, yeah, she has that chapter in her book, <laughs> Melanated Queen Shouldn't Wear Pink Knitted Hats. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> And I was just looking, I was like, I would love for her to just kind of talk about some of the topics in her book. Not necessarily what you wrote in the book, but you have an opinion about these. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I would love to just hear some of your confessions as you we were talking. Yeah. And, and I really honestly was very, I was very light in that book because I was nervous. It's my first, you know, my first work. And I didn't want to be too offensive. And so I, there was a lot of writing and deleting, writing and deleting. But when it came down to that pink knit of hats, I think that was a very emotional time for me. I had mm -hmm. no problem writing that. I just wanted to be careful still because you don't want to scare people off. You really want to educate folks and empower them. Right. But that last conversation you all had, that last show, 
you should have heard the amens coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, because the reality is, is that what's frustrating to me as a nonprofit professional, as a higher education professional, someone who works with people of color, when you have folks just so happy to be accepted, they just hop on these movements and they don't know what they're doing. Like you all mentioned, they don't know the history. They don't stop and think about where were these people when your son was laying out there on the street? Hmm. Where were they at? And on top of that, they still go home to Tom or Bob or Darren. Hmm. Meanwhile, they're telling you to leave your man. You didn't th- they're not thinking about the history. They're not thinking about the history. You know, and, and, I, and I mentioned, and I don't mind sharing this from the book, you know, watching the movie Claudine with my mom. You know, mm. yes, 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 and 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 seeing how you know here it is. This is a woman who is trying her best to make it. She has to hide the fact that she's working because during the time this is set in the 1970s, so she has to make sure it doesn't look like she's doing too much or doing too well for herself. And when the social work comes down the street, the kids are trained to pick everything up so that they look poor. And I asked my mother, like, what is this about? She said, No, oh, this is real. <laughs> This is, you know, my mother was uh, uh, one of seven children. She had five brothers and her brothers were all 20 some years older than her. And they, her mother could not look like she was living with a man, even though those were her children, sometimes just visiting. So they had to clean up the coats, they had to clean up the rugs, they had to clean everything up so they could look poor. And so I'm not going to forget that because their granddaughters are the ones you out here marching with, with these pink hats on. Mm. So... I felt some kind of way about that. I still do um, because I know that, you know, our people, our women especially have been used. You know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, that, that same woman you marching with her great-grandmother is the reason why your great-grandfather was lynched. We, we, let's not forget about the, the children that we buried, you know, over the years because of their lives. So I just felt like I had to talk about that. <laughs> so you just gave me some life. <laughs> you just gave me a little yeah. life. You breathe life into me, Lauren. Oh, yes. <laughs> because if I can just share a mm-hmm. confession, a small little confession, yeah. you know, I felt some kind of way myself as we were recording that podcast. Um, because I was thinking in the back of my mind, kind of like what you just mentioned, um, you know, how people would maybe not necessarily understand where we're coming from and might be offended, which really most of our shows, there might be something that may offend. So I was just kind of thinking like, Ooh, Oh, this is, this is that conversation. This is mm-hmm. really that pink elephant in the room kind of conversation, you know, it's just kind of staring at me. And so hearing you say that, cause even after I listened to it afterwards, you know, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> but then I was like, well, the hell with it, you mm-hmm. know, kind of like, I mean, which is how I usually am always going to end up pretty much. I always sum it up. It's like the signature. Mm-hmm. When I sign on the dotted line, you know, I'm confirming that, yes, this is it. But I must say I did kind of have like a little sting because yeah. oftentimes we, I mean, we are not necessarily that we're living for other people, but when you are in the public view or when you're doing works, um, kind of like some things that you mentioned even in the book, then, you know, there is always going to be a feeling that you may have Mm -hmm. only because tomorrow you got to get up and still face, you know, the music. 
because this is what you're creating with your words. So in mm. choosing, you know, some of us choose our words and some of us just don't care. But as you stated earlier, um, you know, because we are still really about the business of wanting to teach people mm. and, you know, really um, educate people, then we do want to make sure that when we say something, they get it. Right. And sometimes if we, it's like using words that's maybe over someone's head. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, that's a big word, mommy. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so just making sure that you break it down, but that's just my confession for the week. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and I'll add to that. The only mm-hmm. chapter that I was nervous about was the one about the black church. Mm-hmm. That was the one that I yeah. was like, Oh, okay. Well, cause what's funny is that people hadn't, you know, like Dr. Hakima said, they were looking at the title and they said, oh, we should have you a part of our, our women's brunch. And this is like a mega church talking to me. I'm like, no, ma'am, you might want to read the book first and then decide if that's what you want to do. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, you might, you you might want to read the because I, I said some things about your pastor in there okay you know so you know and and i and i appreciate the love but i really want to be honest with people and said you know this is not your typical women empowerment book it's not it's, it's really about empowering the black family i just i just spoke from a woman's perspective exactly. from a black right, woman's perspective right. but it's really about building our families and so that was the one chapter the one thing that i, I wrote i walked away from and i was like okay you know it this is how I feel, but I'm not sure how people receive it because so many people just, you can't tell them nothing about their church. You can't tell them nothing about it. You know, they don't want to hear about it. They'll shut you down. They won't listen. And you like, and like you said, you really can't help people if you don't speak a language they understand. But, you know, once it was out there, it was out there. And I just didn't worry about it anymore. I didn't. I mean, I mentioned it to one person because she said, I love the book. And I said, what you think about chapter seven? It was about the church. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> she said, oh, I loved it. She said, you didn't, I, I see no lies. And I said, okay, well, that, there it is. There it is. So, oops, there it, it, is. oops it is what it is. So that, that was the one that I felt a little uncomfortable with only because, um, you know, I just know that's a very sensitive topic for people. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's the key well, again. I'm sorry. Hey. Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's about the book, but you got this podcast. Mm-hmm. Along with the book, along with the podcast, because your first um, chapter, Confession One, is I'm a student of everyone and everything. Yeah. And I feel like that explains what your podcast is about. It does. It does. Yes. And uh, I would love for you to kind of talk about what, yeah. what started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, well, sh- shortly after the book was, re- was released, I want to say it was March 1st, people began, began to approach me about a podcast. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not have no interest. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I'm a researcher. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't like the sound of my voice. I'm not interested in that. However, I will help you start a podcast. So I began to help other people, you know, start the research to get theirs going. But I, people were coming to me left and right, like, you really should do something with this. But the advice was have a conversation about the things you talked about in the book. But that wasn't really my interest. I said, if, if I get on a mic... It, it has to be a platform for others because essentially that's what I'm interested in doing. I mean, well, even with the book, I surveyed women. I want to hear from other people. And so I wanted an opportunity where I really can enjoy learning from someone else and what they're doing. And so I knew at least a good 15, 20 people 
on top of my head is doing great things in, in just in our community. And so, yeah, you're right. It, it's, I do survey people before I bring them on the show just so that not, not so that I'm prepared so that I can um, set the, 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 the show up for success for them. So for an example, um, my first guest was the, 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 the college student, the college student who's making all that money making clothes. I learned from her. Mm. She's the person that put me on Cash yeah. App. And, you know, and, and, I, and I, wanted, I wanted it to be successful for her because I knew that she could take that and she could take that recording. She could afford it. She could share it. Um, and then the next guest was a friend of mine who has lupus. And I, you know, I love so much going back and watching as she shared the show, the comments that were made to her, encouraging her. Someone commented on one of the YouTube videos and they said, I have lupus. Thank you so much for having this conversation. That's the kind of thing that gives, gives me fire. And so it, it, I'm learning so much from people and just hearing their perspective. Um, when I sat with Jamila Aleem and we talked about you know, her and magic and her crystals and her tarot cards, I was in awe the whole time because I really wanted to, I really, those are questions I've always had and nobody can answer. Mm -hmm. And here she comes with her survey, like, listen, okay, I read tarot cards. I'm going to talk about my crystals. <laughs> and I mm -hmm. said, okay. So when we got on the mic, I said, sis, I, I'm like, I really want to learn. So when, when you hear me asking these questions, because I really want to know, I really don't know. And sometimes if I'm, if I am familiar, then I, I try to at least ask the question so that people who are not familiar, they, they still know. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's been so enjoyable because I feel like I'm in school every week. You know, and, and, and I become a fan of their work, you know, and um, so it goes back to, yeah, I could learn from anybody and anything. I spend my time all day listening and observing. And, and of course, I have to be careful for energy. You know, you can't learn from everybody. You got to be careful. But I do think that there's something to be learned in most situations and for most people. Yeah, I agree. Well, even if the energy uh, may not be the best energy, there's still mm -hmm. a lot to even learn with that. This is true. You know, it's still a lot to learn with that. Um, you know, as I listened to you talk, you spoke a lot about um, some of the research that you did in preparing um, for the book, uh, as well as preparing for the show. So it sounds like, you know, you got a little research bug going on there. So tell yeah. me more about that and how that ties into your doctoral degree. Sure. Well, um, what was it? About five years ago. So th this is the, the story um, that starts with my son and ends with Confessions of a Melanated Queen. So my son, five years ago, was three years old, and we had enrolled him in a, in a local school, and he had a speech delay. And so we wanted to get him some speech therapy, and he was misdiagnosed with a disability that he didn't have by a social worker who had never laid eyes on him. Mm. And so as parents, we were concerned because we we're like, okay, what's going on? You know, this is the first time in, in this type of setting. And we began to do research on my, my husband and I, the research on what's happening with black boys in education. Now, needless to say, we didn't keep him there. Uh, he, he does not have whatever challenges or barriers that they thought he had. He's actually, he's fine. He's doing well now. But I mean, as any child, he, he had, there's some things we need to work with him on. But I really began to notice what's happening with our black boys really early on. And so I became very passionate about finding an answer. I was reading every book. I listened to every YouTube video. And I said, you know what? I just need to do some work myself. So I, that year I enrolled in or I applied for Olivet Nazarene's ethical leadership program, a doctor of education. My whole purpose was to do research on our black boys. And so my dissertation was titled, let me think about it. 
parental communicative <laughs> support as a predictor of academic achievement among African-American male college students. So essentially what that means is that I was interested in, at, at least on a college level, since at that time I was transitioning out of higher education, what role do parents play in the achievement of their black sons? And then the other question I had was, what is the difference, if any, between our black boys and our black girls? Because studies show that black women are outpacing black men. Even though we're learning now that that's not necessarily as true as we thought it was. I mean, we're still ahead of the game, but black men are, are not doing nearly as bad as they make them out to be. I mean, they're, they're actually doing much better recently, in recent years in academics. But I wanted to learn more about... Um, just the role of parents playing that. Because as a parent, at that moment for my three-year-old to, he didn't even know what was happening, but for someone to say some of the things that they were saying about him, I knew even though I was educated and working every day and I worked in the field, I, I began to give up very briefly, very briefly. It didn't last long because thank God he had a father and a grandfather that stepped in and say, listen, no, as black men, we're not going to allow you to, to, to fall into this trap. It's a trick, okay? So get it together, mom. Even if you need to sit out a couple of meetings, we're going to go in there, we're going to take care of it. So that led into me going into school. So I wrote the dissertation. I graduated last year. And an interesting thing happened. They didn't publish my dissertation on the digital commons. What they did, however, is they published everyone who was associated with that university, who worked for university. They published their work. And they published the work for people who were associated with their church. It was a faith-based school. Now, no shade to them, but that was the last no. And I wrote a post about this today. It was the last no I was getting ready to take. So I said, what I'm not going to do is wait for somebody to give me a chance to do the work or to showcase the work that I know that I'm capable of doing. So I said, I'm going to write a book. I just didn't know when. But January this year, I decided it's time. It's time for me to put this out here. So I took some of the notes of some of the research I'd already been started, and then I surveyed the women, and that's how Confessions was born. And so, it, you know, it, to me, adversity just fuels me because it's the, in the last few years, I've, I'm going through a few things. You know, I'm getting walked off my job, and uh, now that people don't want to publish my dissertation, this, this was supposed to be my start of my research career. And to not have that work that you have spent all this money and time an effort in not be available online for people to see because I, I my plan was to say hey go check out my dissertation and yeah. use it as a reference nobody will see it now unless they actually pick it up from the library or get a copy from me so mm. I just decided that that enough is enough I'm going to put my own work out there confessions was really just a stepping stone it's going to get better so yeah. that was really the entire journey through research. It, it started with me just as a parent being concerned about the things I was seeing in the school system and saying, I want to know how can we make life better for our parents and keep them more well-informed as they prepare their kids through their academic journey. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a certified school teacher, but I work with their kids when they entered into the community college setting. And I can tell when someone has had the experience of having resourceful parents and family of support and those who have not, and those who have not get left behind. So what can I do to try to build bridges between the, the served and underserved? So that's really what, what it was all about. Now, confessions came about because I just said, I'm tired of this now. I'm getting ready to put my own stuff out there, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it because, you know, when you're in school, your advisor, the committee, they tell you to take stuff out, and you do what they ask you to because you want to graduate. But I, didn't, I don't have time for that now. It's time for me to work independently. And so and I want to do the work that, that, that really means something to me and my people. 
Awesomeness. I'm yeah. loving it. I'm just loving this conversation. Yeah, me too. Yes, yes, I, yes. I, I'd like to see you publish your dissertation um, anyway. Can't you just like put something out there on a link and, and have people to be able to go and download it? Even you know, I, I do know of people who have actually turned their dissertations into books anyway. Yeah. What I'm doing, though, with the next Confessions installment is doing a continuation of the dissertation. Because I, you know, and I'll share the findings from the dissertation in that and then continue to work. So I'm already conducting um, interviews with people and asking them about their experiences and their stories. And this is a step up from what I did before, before I, I conducted surveys. But now I'm actually getting stories and having the, those conversations tr transcribed and using that to really find um, themes. You know, and, and the things that these folks are sharing with me are just amazing. It, it's really a story of the have and have nots. It's so amazing. They're, they're all black people. I'm actually looking for a few more black males to participate. Um, because, you know, being a mother of a black son, that, that was my concern initially. But, you know, I, I'm seeing now that our, our sisters are going through the same thing. They just sometimes handle things a little different. But they're dealing with the same problems. Mm. They're doing the same problem. So I, I may do that, but I definitely will reference the dissertation a lot in this next book because there's a lot of data that's in there that's so important to what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. You know, you know I was reading your book. I, I think I had sent you a message. I think after mm -hmm. the first chapter, I said, this woman that stole my identity. Everything <laughs> in this book that she lived, I live. And I was so impressed with that. And I said, oh my God, as black women, we share, we have so much more commonalities than we have differences and i was so taken back i think of the first chapter i sent you a message i said girl we you had did. it's like a mirror <laughs> it was like i was reading like my life and pages and i'm and i'm, I'm sure so many sisters have read your book and felt the same way what i was yeah. so impressed with was uh your chapter on the corner office they could they could take mm -hmm. that corner office and shove it yeah i thought yep. it was a very remarkable chapter because you know, when as 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 women, we go to school, and our whole goal is to get this education so we can mm -hmm. rise up in these companies. And then and you shed a light on how, as black women, we get so ambitious, but we lose sight of the camaraderie that we should have with one another. Uh, right. We'll get cutthroat, anything, just so we can move up to the top to get that yeah. corner office. And I, can you shed light on that? Because the 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 you represent the new black woman, the educated black woman that thinks community first, where most educated black women think self first. Can you shed light on the importance of why an educated woman should be community focused first? Yeah, you, you really have to protect your integrity. And I was very honest. I wanted to protect her identity, but I, I don't think she would mind me sharing. But the, the, the dean of students at the time, who was very good to me, very good to me, but she was having whatever problem she was having. And they decided they wanted to remove her. And they used myself and others to do that. And I felt so horrible about that. And since then, she and I have, we, we've reconciled. We're actually in contact quite a bit. But, you know, what, what I realized is that, you know, it ain't worth it. It's not. In fact, I never had any intention on climbing that ladder anyway. I was very happy in that little corner I was at. But what I realized was that other people around me, they wanted the spot so bad. They were willing to put you in a bad situation to get there. And so what I should have done was I should have walked away then, but I didn't see it. So, you know, a little bit backstory about me and why that chapter is so important and why me being walked off that campus was just su such a shock to me. 
I grew up with two parents who were retired from Cook County Hospitals. And after 30 years of service, they retired at age 50. And that was going to be my life. I was like, I'm going to be just like them. I'm going to put in these 30 years. I'm going to get my retirement. And I never, I never thought twice about doing anything other than what I was doing every day. And so I just played the game. I did what I was told. And six months after they let her go, I was out the door too. And so I wanted to be honest about that because I think women find themselves in that situation often. So and in another supervisor where I had had told me, she said, you know, they use us. So be careful. They use us. They give us the most stressful jobs. They, they, and you think you're doing something because you're a dean or you're a vice president or you're a manager or something. You're so <laughs> proud to have your title, Ooh, but they're killing you. At the end Jake. of the day, at the end of the day, they're killing you. You know, so the first, even before the sister I was just talking about, the first dean who hired me was a black woman who told me that she would go home and just drown herself with Jack Daniels every day. What is it worth it? And, and she said to me years later, she said, you be careful. She said, you get you go for what they don't tell you about. You go for what they say for their kids. They don't give their kids. They don't say those, those, those stressful jobs for their children. They give them something real nice and simple that they can use their mind with, and they don't have to worry about managing others or going through all this stressful oh. stuff. And I knew then, I said, okay, she's on to something. And then when all that happened with her successor, who they, they, they used us to get rid of her, and then they got rid of me because I was under her, um, I just wanted to really be honest because to me, that's where the lack of integrity comes from. Everybody's looking for the corner office. Everybody want to climb. Everybody want to get upstairs to the second floor. Everybody want to wear the suit. Everybody want to make the money. But is it worth it? You're ruining your community doing it. And they know they're using you. Do you know they're using you is the question. Ooh, teeth. Yeah. Teeth. You know that you're just a pond in the game. Yes. I need a microphone. I need a microphone just to drop. Just, just <laughs> as you know. You know, I don't have a microphone to drop. You know, mm -hmm. that metal microphone that you go drop the mic and it just yes. goes doo doo. <laughs> I mean, but you know, and, and the, the truth is, and, and I think I mentioned this in the book, I said, you know, no shade on those sisters who are doing their things. We need some of you. But just be careful and be mindful. While you up there, reach back and grab somebody. You know, because you got, you got some that want to be the only one. They oh. want to be the only one. And, and I, I, take, you know, I take issue with that, too. You know, and so it, it was just a reminder because my identity, everything about me was wrapped up in that job. And so when it was over, I went through a, a period of depression. I didn't know who Lauren was anymore. In fact, I had just signed up and was admitted to this doctoral program. I no longer knew why I was there. I was, I was terminated three weeks before I started my program. So I'm sitting in the first day of class, like, why am I sitting here? You know, I'm not Miss Higher Education anymore. I'm not the director of such and such anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I didn't know what was next. I had no job. But yet I'm in a leadership program. Mm. And so I had to really just rely on the Lord and just ask God to guide me. My, my family was with me. I have a supportive husband, thankfully. And, you know, I made it through. But thinking back on it, when I was writing that chapter, I'm like, you know, you know women need to understand that, you know, it's this, this dream they're selling us is wonderful. We're all getting our degrees and we're going to our nice careers, but don't lose sight of what's most mm -hmm. important. Because at the end of the day, when they're done with you, you got to go back. You got to go back home to your people. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. was my, really my concern Ooh. in that chapter. So that's why I said screw that corner office. Yeah. In fact, build your own. Yeah, yeah, yes. I agree build your own. heartily with that one. Build your own. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking when you said screw that corner office that how sometimes we do that where we're we're trying so hard to to do something for someone else and 
we don't take that time out to think about us. And the reality of it is you can work yourself into a frenzy. You can work Mm -hmm. yourself until you're sick. And if you drop dead tomorrow, you'll be replaced just like that. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. That's the thing we have to think about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I was at home going through what I was going through. And I had people calling me, asking me, do you mind if I apply for your job? Mm. <laughs> when, you, when you were telling that or sharing that what? story. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Cutthroat, um, that's cutthroat. True. It, it, it really is. It made me to think about um, one of uh, the famous quotes by um, Neely Fuller, Fuller Jr. Mm. Um, where he says, if you do not understand white supremacy, racism, mm. and what it is, and how it works. Everything else that you understand will only confuse you. Absolutely. And so when you were going through that period, you know, where you were just like trying to figure out what the hell just hit me, yeah. you know, what happened? It was like, these are the effects mm-hmm. of white supremacy. And when we don't understand, so you didn't even know you were being used. I did not. You know, so it's like it, it puts you almost in a state of um, <laughs> amnesia. It puts you, you know, in like a, a sleep-like state because mm-hmm. you are so wrapped up in a level of confusion. Because on one end, you thought you, you said at one point, you didn't even know why you were going to school. I'm not even sure why I'm here. Right. I don't know what just happened. I don't know what just hit me. I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. I'm questioning mm-hmm. everything that I ever knew. I thought I was going to take this job and work for 30 years and retire like my parents. So, you know, that just when you said that, you know, it just said, man, it reminded me, if you do not understand white supremacy, racism, what it is and how it works, everything else absolutely that you understand will only confuse you. And that's so real for yes. all of us. Two black men, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. two black men put into perspective for me. My husband, one, said, I'm going to need you to stop talking about the people that look like you that put you in the situation and look at that woman who sat sat in your face and told you why she was about to walk you out the door. So in other words, he was, you know, he had to remind me, he was like, because I'm in there. I'm like, but that was a sister that set me up. It was a sister that did this. It was was a black man that was sitting there. He said, let me tell you something. When it was all said and done, who told you leave? (laughs) Think about who that was you sent in front of that that woman who who looked in your face and said, "I don't care about low income first generation students." He said, "That's the problem. Stop looking at your own people." The other mm. one of my former students that was an older deep. gentleman. It was deep, and I needed that, to hear that. You I, said that earlier. Oh my God! I was like, "What did you say?" She said, "Yes, she, she did. didn't have a. I bet you she didn't stutter." I no, she didn't. She, didn't she was clear as day, and she packed up her bag and walked out of there that Friday uh, evening. You know, and, and I'm, I'm in the car crying and he looked at me. He said, listen, come on. He said, you know, they're about to fire you, right? And I was like, no, they, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on suspension for two weeks. They still going to investigate. He's like, no, baby, they, you gone. Okay. All right. You gone. You know, and, and, and so he was, he was definitely the first person made me understand. And then I had, uh, I, you know, my students were so great. They reached out to me. One of them was an older gentleman, old enough to be my dad. And I, I always spend hours talking to him. And he asked me out to breakfast one day. He said, we just need to sit down and talk. He said, you do realize you were lynched, right? He said they, they mm. made you an example. He said that was a public lynching, Ooh. and they used yes, you. It was. And I was it, yes, and but you oh. know that sixth grader came back out at that time, mm. and I said, "Where was she at? Why didn't I see this?" And <laughs> and it took my husband to Ooh. say, "You know, don't Thank you me. ever mm. sleep on them." 
He said, don't mm. ever sleep on them. He said, you got comfortable. And that's not the first time it happened, happened recently. That's why we had to keep each other. Can we talk you know? about that? Can you tell us, can you tell us about mm. it? Can I What's that? Well, the, the, the happened situation happened recently? recently? Mm. Oh, yeah, I mentioned in I my mean, book. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm transparent now. I don't care no more. Um, <laughs> my, look, look at me. I'm like, what? I don't have no popcorn, but my fake popcorn is getting juicy. Can <laughs> no, this is true. No, just 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 recently, and I and I mentioned this in the book, and I when I talked about you know my son transitioning um, out of a private school, so it's almost like my life all over again. We had put him mm. in the school for very actually, we put him in the school because of what happened when he was three, and we had decided then we didn't trust public schools. So we put him in this private school that was ran by white people that had black children. Now they asked me to serve on their board and I served on the board. My husband said, I don't think you should do that, but you go ahead and do what you want to do. But I thought, okay, I could be a voice. I can help. I can support. He said, oh, okay, go ahead. He said, but he ain't standing. You do what you do what you want. We're not kidding. <laughs> as soon as we can, we, we pulling them out. Okay. So it, it, it was um, last year, just last November, just a few months ago, I, was concerned and I as a board member who is not wealthy but has a great rapport with other parents I brought to the administrators attention that there were children whose parents were were concerned about them being bullied and mistreated and the school wasn't doing anything about it so again as a board member I, I thought I can use my little voice and say something about it well I was hushed real quickly and it was happening way too often and I said you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step down because, for one, I'm encouraging parents to pull their kids out of this school. And, and there's no purpose of me staying on this board, so I'm going to leave. Well, the day I announced that, I sent the email to, to resign, they began to watch my son in the classroom. And all of a sudden, the things that never bothered anybody bothered the principal. And I said, okay. Now we got a problem. So we pulled him out of the school. We transitioned him from that school to his lo local public school. And I don't know why we didn't do it sooner. Um, and we're happy where he's at. But hey, that was another time my husband said, you slept on them again. You slept. You, you sat there. You got comfortable. You went to those meetings. And it, to me, that was when I think, and, and, I, and, and I'm remembering this now, when I became, became more comfortable writing confessions. Because see, now I'm not sitting at the table white folks no more at all. Right, right, right. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, we were, I was doing, I was going, I, what, what I felt like I needed to do for him and his education because I was so involved as a parent and I was at every event and I was always present, but you, you only, only, it only needs, I only need one black mom to come to me and say that she's unhappy how a child is being treated. And I have a problem because to me at that time, my son was doing fine, but you mess with one, you mess with mine. I mean, he's, he's, her child is my child in a sense, you know, we're, we're all family. And so if she's unhappy and you, just, and you dismiss her, then we got a problem. And then you dismiss another child and, and her parents. And so now we have to come together as parents and we have to address what's going on. And so I removed myself from that role so that I can openly support them better. I mean, I set some meetings up with them that they didn't see it coming. Um, and, and it wasn't handled. It wasn't handled well. But so it took, again, a black man, my husband, to say, I never liked them. I never trusted them. And you got comfortable again. He said, you know, and, and, this is, and this is why it's so important because we have to rely on one another because sometimes, you know, as a, especially as a parent, there's one time I sometimes lose all my senses when it comes down to my son. I forget who the enemy is. Yeah. I forget what's what because I, I'm not thinking straight. But thankfully, as a father who's a little bit more grounded in that, you know, he could take all that out. 
and see see it for, for what it is. And so that was the most recent situation. And I think that after that, first of all, I blocked all of them from my social media. They, they can't look at my LinkedIn no more. You know, don't worry about what I'm doing. Um, and I began to just address what I already knew, but I was just coping with it, you know, for the sake of my son. But no way to pull him out of there. I mean, they were, they began to really mistreat him. The minute I said I wasn't going to serve on that board anymore, I, mm. you know, it was, it was unbelievable. All of a sudden he went from being a great child to being unteachable. Wow. But then a few months he, he got all A's and B's at this new school that we paying our tax dollars for. So it worked out, you know, but yeah, you know, it is. And so even as a researcher, as an author, as a podcaster, as a black woman who sometimes feels that I'm, I'm grounded in my identity, I still struggle too. And I have to rely on people, others, to remind me of what's going on because it's a war and sometimes we don't see it because we're just trying to survive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't understand we're at war. Yeah. Absolutely. We understand we're at war. It's, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about education because there was a situation where my nephew, the school of my nephew, predominantly white school, was trying to say that my nephew was autistic. So... Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to say, oh, he has ADD. You know, he's it's some. Basically, they're trying to say something was wrong. And my sister was so upset. She kept saying, what do I do? What do I do? So I said, let me do some research. And I did research on the school. And they really boast about their fiscal situation they were in. They were, they were just boasting, you know. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I see. I see him. Okay, let me, you know, now I know what I'm dealing with because she asked me to go to the meeting with I said, let me look up ADD, too, because I need to understand that. And, you know, I I found out from research that, you know, in order for them to diagnose your child, they got to have the social worker, they got to have the doctor, they got to have all these different players. And when Mm -hmm. I went to the meeting with my sister, you know, when, when, you know, I was playing chess when I walked in that room because Mm -hmm. I saw this panel of people that was trying to intimidate my sister, the parent. And the only missing person that was in there was a psychologist, and they kept trying to come back to another meeting. And so I wouldn't say nothing for, like, the first 15 minutes. I let them all introduce themselves. You know, I played the dummy. And uh, they came out, well, you know, he's this, he's that, and we need to have another meeting. And I said, why? So that the psychologist could be here, and that's the missing component in diagnosing my nephew. Right. And the folks got quiet. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I've done research on – your school and you boast about your fiscal management uh i said i've done the research you schools get money when you have children that's diagnosed with add and all of a sudden the principal emerged i don't know where this woman come from (laughs) she she didn't say nothing in that meeting she said i'm sorry who are you that's what i had to i had to really come at him i said i'm dr mommy them folks down there lost they mad because they thought oh we dealing with some dumb negroes Mm -hmm. and so when i said that all of a sudden her whole, she, she was devilish. I tell you, she was cunning because she came in a different way. She switched her little style and said, well, we need more more people in the community to come forth and share their skills and talent. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, you weren't concerned about the parents giving their skills and talent when you were trying to diagnose my son, my nephew, and you thought I didn't know nothing. Right. You know, so it was just like, oh, my God, these people are real. This is This is serious. And it was at that moment. That I said it. What would they have done if my sister, if I wasn't there with my sister? Because I explained to them, you intimidate my sister. She's a nurse. She don't have education background, mm-hmm. and everything you're telling her, it's a panel of people facing these parents, and this is what they're doing every day to our, our young black sons. 
it, it's right. It's intimidating. It's intentional, and we don't even realize yeah. we being played like this. What's your thoughts? And on that's that why it's. At one, we I, I, that was the situation I was in five years ago. I mean, we talking about a three year old child who was bring. He literally walked into the school in January, and within seven days, I get a call from the social worker. Same situation, and I'm on the phone crying. I'm emotional because all I want is for my baby to have a good experience in in, in school. And and it, again, it took me to sit in that meeting, and my oh, my husband got on me so bad. And he still reminds me. He said, "Don't you ever sign nothing until we talk about it," and that's what parents need to understand always and i'm so glad you went with her always have somebody with you because you are they they do they prey on mothers they prey on mm. mothers they prey on women who don't know any better you believe them because they are supposed to be the experts exactly. you're not thinking about the fact that they're making all this extra money because special education is very profitable and I, you're not even thinking about that you're just thinking oh well I, you start imagining things i he kind of acts weird sometimes when he look at me and he do do this sometimes and you you're not sitting thinking about the fact that they are using you they use me. They're not doing that to Johnny. They're not doing that to, to Cameron. They're, they're, they're doing that to your little Dante's and Kareem's and yeah. Isaiah's. And moms really don't know any better. And they trust. They trust the teachers. They trust the administration. So like you said, they have a panel of people. And I just took my son there for speech. And they said that he was autistic. Now, I know that the spectrum is there, so this is nothing against the parents who are dealing with this. What I'm saying is that before you say something like that, you need to at least know who my son is. And this social worker had never laid eyes on him. She told me, I wouldn't, I can't pick your baby out from a crowd of kids. Well, what are we talking about then? Okay. Wow. All right. And, and I didn't go into details about my background, what I did for a living. I just, they just knew that I was a mom and I was concerned. So, you know, it was my husband who uh, arrived to the IEP meeting. So that's the individual educational plan meeting. And all this for a three-year-old, mind you, remind you that it, this, <laughs> this is not even, wow. he's not 13 to 14. He's three in pre-K. We just wow. want him to have a little speech and learn his colors and learn how to cut right. So we we're having this meeting and I walk away. And I was, I was satisfied with the fact that the psychologist said, and she was there, you're absolutely right, the psychologist needs to be there. And she said, no, you know, some of the tests that we did, you know, I just felt like he didn't do his best because he was probably annoyed or bored with it. But otherwise, Thomas is fine. So we ended up, you know, receiving the service that we looked for, which was speech. But what my husband said, he said, don't ever sign nothing with them. He said, I don't trust them. He said, I can feel the spirits. He said, they want right. He said they didn't want to look at me. They looked at you because they could oh. see the weakness in you at that moment, you know. And and I'm like, well, they, they but they gonna give him speech. He said, I don't care. He said, I don't care. He said he don't need speech for one. When he he go talk when he's ready, which he's right. And, you know, the boy can't stop talking now. Mm. But I'm trying to be a proactive mother, and I learned so much. <laughs> so after that, I started reading Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu. Mm -hmm. all of his books. I started reading Dr. Umar Johnson's books, um, a number of other studies. And I began to understand the game at that point. Yes. And so it just, again, it, it sparked something in me that I thought I had lost or had forgotten about. Um, and I, be, I just, I became passionate about the topic again. And, and then coupled with the fact that a year later, you know, I lost my job for doing what was right for primarily black students. It, it really made me think about just the, the, um, the unethical, you know, behavior and, and education period across the spectrum from elementary all the way through college. Yeah. You know what I hope to, I'm sorry, that, mm -hmm. that as you're talking about that, that somebody who's listening to this podcast will actually hear what you have to say mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and then understand um, how to support their children and especially their sons. 
because while you were talking about it, I was thinking about how um, there was a, a, a lady when I was starting out with my son in school, and there was a little boy who spoke at the Million Man March in 1995, mm-hmm. uh, Allende uh, Batiste. I remember. Yes, I remember him. And it was his mother that was talking to me on the phone. And here I am starting out with the whole, you know, school thing. My son had already started in preschool and I was telling her I was nervous. And she told me, she said, let me tell you something right now. She said, be your child's advocate. Absolutely. She said, and don't be afraid to move him. If the school that he in is no longer serving Mm -hmm. his best needs. And, but she was talking and she was talking about, she told me the educational path of her son who I think ended up, I might be wrong about where he went to college, but I want to say it was Princeton, but I can't really remember for sure. But it was one of the, um, one of those Ivy League schools. But just her telling me that, but just that conversation, that it shaped for me moving forward what it really meant to be uh, my son's advocate. So it's just, so just as you're talking about this, it's like, I hope that your voice, you know, does that for someone the way that she did that for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 13 yeah. or 14 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And we, we all need somebody. And what we, we also need are more black people working in special education. Mm-hmm. We need, I mean, we need more black men in education period, especially at the elementary level though, but we need more black people to represent special education because there are children who do have special needs, who have learning differences, but what you don't want to is confuse their learning differences into whatever mess that these people are trying to throw in them so they can get that extra money. That's what we don't need. You know, we want them to be able to have the accommodations that they need, and they need somebody who understands them, because unfortunately, most of them are sitting in the classroom with white women who are afraid of your black sons, even at age three. They worried about what he's about to grow up to be. Yeah, you know, um, so it's just it's it's you know we we all need someone to share those stories and to share the path and so there uh, I'm I'm good friends with a lot of special education teachers and they are the ones that will say you know um you just need a little of this a little of that or maybe you know we just need to give him more time taking his test that's all he needs but some of these different labels and all that stuff only thing it does honestly is make a parent want to give up because yep. you don't understand it. I know for a quick second, I felt like I was reading to my son every night since he was two months old. For a quick second, I said, why am I reading to him? I mean, this is just how the enemy can trick you. Mm. Why am I reading to him every night? You know, I'm ashamed of that, but it's the truth. You know, and so, but if I didn't have someone to pull me to the side and say, listen, okay, what you're not going to do is fall into this, then who knows what would have happened? Who knows what would have happened? So, you know, we, we need to advocate. We need to, if you don't, if, if the child's father is not around, you need to bring a sister, an aunt, a friend, another teacher, somebody to sit there with you, to hold your hand and to speak up. I know I've attended IEP meetings um, for um, other parents, you know, since I worked in, in, in nonprofit. So, yeah, it's, it's worth it. And never going, never you can you, you cannot afford to go to war alone, mm-hmm. and you cannot afford to go to war without weapons. Absolutely. So, you're absolutely right. Yes. Wow. So much this evening. You know, it's just with we, and in all of our podcasts, as you heard, we try to get to that solution. <laughs> uh, solutions section of our podcast and you threw out so many solutions um for a melanated queen you did yeah uh, 
I hope so. One we just we just recently talked about is being involved and being an advocate for your children. That's mm-hmm. something that our, uh, our sisters need to 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 understand. Uh, another thing that you're putting out there, because like you said, I'm I'm an advocate for our community. You mentioned the importance of our our black men getting involved in education, especially at the elementary level. I think wonderful because so often when we are uh, speaking to our community or representing our community, we specific to just our, 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 ourselves as women or children, but you included our brothers as well as part of the mm-hmm. solution of strengthening our community and taking control of the education of our children, making by encouraging and ensuring that our black men get involved. That's the only way that we're going to be successful. Absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned, I mean, we talked a lot about the book. Uh, without giving away the book, you know, but just the importance of being who you are. Oh, my God. I mean, just not worrying about what the backlash would be for who you are in your book. You are who you are. And it was so beautiful to read the words of someone. I'm just going to be honest. This is what my thoughts are on this. Just encouraging our sisters to be open, honest, and be who you are. And stop trying to pretend to be something else. Why are mm. we trying to climb this corporate ladder to be the Caucasian woman? We have to learn to be the black woman. That's we, right. Why are we in competition with one another? And you have pointed that out in your book. Ain't no competition in you, sis. Mm. I'm telling you right there, I read your book, and we've read it and, and discussed, we discuss your book a lot. And just to say it's so wonderful to see an educated black woman that wants to help pull up another sister. So there go another solution you have offered. Pull up another sister. When yeah. you're in a position of power, pull up another sister. Pull up another brother. Yeah, it may cost you your career, but that, that was a transition for you to start your own business so that you could continue to help your people. Am yeah. I missing anything, sisters? As far as, I mean, we talked about so much, like a shade, Keela, is anything that we are missing that, that Dr. Meeks have Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> our humble sister, our humble sister, uh, Lauren has mentioned. I, I, I know I, I mentioned maybe three or four, but if there's anything we need to add, or Lauren, if there's anything that you want to add, as far as what our community need to do, or what our listeners can take away uh, from this, because we know we like to get these homework assignments. Yeah, I mean, just in, in, in closing for me, I'll just add that, you know, it, it is, it's important to be mindful, you know, we just recently just talked about, you know, how there's times when I've, I've had the, the covers over my eyes, you have to always, I mean, the term, the, 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 the term now is to, to stay woke, everybody loves to say that though, but I mean, there's, there, there's some truth to that in the sense that, you know, we, we have to remember mm. that history never stopped, it just continued on, and so don't, don't get confused, you know, um, and don't buy into whatever the media wants you to believe. You have to understand that, you know, they don't love us. They got to deal with us. They love our culture. They love our culture. And this is nothing against, you know, some other folks out there, because I know that I've had some allies, but the reality is that when it comes down to our children and our people, we have to remain mindful and we have to do what's best for us. We have to really think about it because our struggle is not the same as everybody else. Everybody want to throw their stuff in ours. They want to throw, they, they want to throw their issues in our pot. But we we are uniquely complex, and um, 
I think it's very important that we understand this important. So, you know, don't get so caught up into I'm doing good. I'm worried about everybody else. Now you need to help your brother and sister out. You know, we need to, we need to stop worrying about our, our religious backgrounds and more, be more concerned with the fact that we black people first. Um, and so that, that's really what, what I wanted to um, at least start the conversation with confessions. It's a, it's a short read. So folks can, you can probably read in a couple of days if they have some time. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to share my thoughts and my experiences with that. Though. So I think, I think it starts with, again, having these conversations. You all are, are part of the huge solution to this, so just talking about it and, and having a platform where people can listen in and say, yeah, I thought I was going through that, but I wasn't sure. I'm glad that these sisters confirmed that for me, you know. So thank you all for what you do. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, you're welcome. So how can how can our listeners how can our listeners, you know, purchase your book, go to your podcast? Yeah, uh, so and, and also your blog. Please, 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 this is your opportunity to go ahead and tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, everything is pretty much on the website, the blog, Confessions of a Melanated Queen.com. You can actually purchase the book. You can listen to I post a weekly podcast on the website. Um, I also have other resources on there that I'm starting to add. Um, if anybody's interested in having, you know, sit down conversation with me, um, they need support and help with even with self-publishing. I'm offering some training and some coaching for that. So they can also um, sign up for that as well. But if anybody just wants to send me an email, just say hello or just express some concerns, they could reach me at laurentmeeks at gmail.com. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Impress, please visit the website royalimpress.org. You can also follow the Royal Impress on Facebook. Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.